Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Good evening and welcome. I don't know if this camera is all set up correctly, but uh, I'm a bit late tonight, so I wouldn't blame you if you uh, gave up. But um, sorry about that. I hope Mike, I've got a mic here somewhere. So I hope the mic's working and I hope you, everyone's well. Um, been, uh, been a bit rushed, rushed off just recently, so I've um, come to come to this late tonight. When I say this, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this, this live, no, live Q and A with plastic surgeon. That's me, JJ Stiano. Uh When's that? Every Tuesday at seven pm, obviously. Um, oh, hi, Shana. Good to see you. Nice to see you. I missed you earlier. Sorry about that. Um, it's all go today. I tell you, it's all go. Um, so what we've got right here is um, some questions, and there uh, is there's a list here, so I'm going to go through them. I've um, been away for the last couple of weeks. I've been on holiday. Can you see my tan? No, no, can't see it either. Antoinette, I'd like to say hola back to you. Nice to see you. You changed your name, Antoinette. Same picture, but... <laughs> sure, there's something different. Anyway, um, right, let's crack on. Enough of, enough of the niceties. Let's crack right on. So, what we've got here is a question which says, "This is something about." Oh, I haven't got anyway about a minor rock, but anyway, it doesn't matter. They're asking about how long. Um, I hope you can hear me. By the way, this mic working. I'm assuming you can. Let's just assume you can. It's always funny to know what to say. I guess the thing to say is, tell me if you can hear me, because obviously if you can't hear me, you can't tell me. I know what to do, obviously. And what we do is we go old school. Can you hear oh, a bit of talk? Can you hear me? So uh, is, is the hi Stephanie? Stephanie, what's that? Is that clapping? Can you hear is is your audio working? Is your audio working? Yes. Okay, the audio's right, okay, good. Good. The audio's sorry, it's just I did anyway. I talk about my little bit of a matter thing once about that. The audio, but anyway, never mind. We'll cross over that. The audio is working good. So, what we've got here stitches. How long does obviously last? Uh, people ask this sort of question. Thank you. The audio is working good. Um, varies. There's different types of dissolvable sutures, so uh, they range from a suture that lasts a week or so, uh, which is a very um, quickly dissolving suture, which we would sometimes suture faces. Thanks, Stephanie. Um, in children. 
or if you use the skin. In fact, I use it in the belly button when I do a tummy tuck. I use that uh, quick dissolving suture in the belly button, uh, and it's uh, and the suture that you see on the outside. Uh, we the, the reason it's the, the, you use it you use it in the skin usually pretty much always, uh, and you use it because you want to because you don't want to leave stitch marks. So you use it when you're doing an interrupted suture in the skin. It's not used that often. As I say, sometimes the children on the face, if you're worried about having to take the stitches out. Um, the reason that we don't use it very often is because it's unpredictable how long it takes to dissolve. And so if it takes a bit longer to dissolve, you why there might be little stitch marks there. When I use it in the belly button, I stitch it in such a way that any stitch marks will end up inside the belly button. So there aren't actually any stitch marks outside the belly button. But um, uh, I've gone off piste on this question a bit here. I've answered a different question. So how long does that? So uh, yeah. So the, well, no, I'm still on, still on the same question. Yeah, that's, re- that's relevant. What I'm saying. Um, yeah. So uh, so there's some quick dissolving ones. Uh, that's called Vicryl Repeat. That one I'm talking about. Um, and then there's others that take longer to dissolve, such as Vicryl um, without the repeat bit, uh, which takes a bit longer to dissolve. And then there's things like Monocryl and PDS. And there's there's lots of different types. And some, and, and the, basically, I guess the general principle, you guys don't really need to know this, do you? I'm telling you stuff you don't need to know. But anyway, I'll tell you anyway. So the, the, the principle is that the, the closer to the skin you go, the quicker dissolving they are. So a very, the one that takes a long time to dissolve, something like a PDS or something, is something that you use quite deep. So again, with tummy tucks, you get quite deep layers. It takes a long time to dissolve. Who's Zoe? Um, I don't know. Who's Zoe? Um, so it takes a long time to dissolve, um, so you use them deep. The reason for that is because when sutures dissolve, sometimes if the body gets annoyed at them, they start spitting them out, and you get little superficial infections. So as you get closer to the skin, they, they dissolve more quickly. Uh, the good thing about dissolving, taking a long time to dissolve, is it holds the tissues together for longer, and it keeps the strength for longer. The bad thing is that the body can start reacting to having a foreign body in it for too long and start spitting it out. So as we get closer to the skin, we put the quicker dissolving ones in. Bottom line, your question, how long for dissolvable sutures? So you're really talking about dissolvable sutures that are close to the skin. So when we're like, for instance, if you have something on your body and we put a dissolvable suture just underneath the skin um, to close it, um, I would like to go back and do this question again because I think that's not. I've not done very well on that answer, have I? Because all you're interested in is the dissolvable suture in the skin that you, 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 you've had for a minor op. You're not interested in the history of dissolvable sutures. Oh, anyway, um, so the, the specific answer to the question is it takes, I would say, a couple of a month or two. Okay, a month or two. Which I just said that at the beginning. But caveat, um, the month or two is for the suture. If the suture gets dissolved by being in contact with the water, the knots, which are at either end usually, because it's usually a subcutaneous stitch, you can't see it on the skin, but it's usually underneath the skin. There's a knot on either end of the stitch, and that takes longer. So that can take a few months for the knots to dissolve. Similarly, if you've had something like a breast reduction or a tummy tuck or something like that, where there's quite a lot of interrupted dissolvable sutures as well as the one in the skin, sometimes you get little red dots where those interrupted ones are. And because of the knot, it can take a few months for that to dissolve. That's why a few months after a tummy tuck or something like that, you'll sometimes get little bits of sutures spitting out. Which I guess, yeah. Ooh. Sorry about that. I think I've, I've spent. I've, I didn't answer that well. But anyway, that's how long. I would like to know the contents of the question. Really, content. What what were they asking for? I think I just can't remember where I got that question from. Anyway, um, there you go. Good. 
that's how long they last as old suit just last it varies but a couple of months for the ones that are close to the skin um unless they're ones in the skin like you can see them in which case it'll be you know a week or so okay move on bmi 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 body mass index body mass index so apparently we've had a few questions about this about what body mass index do i need for surgery um there is no absolute in the nhs you'll find there's an absolute and this is so this is normally body contouring surgery we're talking about not so much mole cysts lumps or bumps there's not really a bmi for that but it's for body contouring so in bigger operations tummy tucks mastopexies breast reductions big operations there is a uh, a BMI guideline simply because the complication rate is higher if the BMI is higher. It's a bit like smokers. Got nothing against people who have got high BMIs or nothing against people who smoke. That's absolutely fine. But it can increase your risk of complications. So that's the reason for this. It's we're not being sort of um discriminatory against people. It's because the complication risk um is higher in people with high BMIs. Smokers, but I'm not going to talk about smokers because that's not the question. So I'm going off beast again. So BMI is the question. So uh, I normally work on a BMI of 30 is the number that I normally work on in my own mind. And I'm looking at the BMI is below 30, it's good. If the BMI is above 30, it's not so good. But it's not an absolute thing. So if you, the main thing is, yeah, I uh, hope you're well. Um, the main thing is you've got to be stable and comfortable with your weight. Well, no, there's two things. First of all is the absolute value of the BMI. So if it's way over 30, if it's 40, then I think you've got a very high risk of complications and you will be better off losing weight prior to having surgery. Um, however, if it's just a little bit above 30, or even, to be honest with you, even if it's below 30, you've got to be stable and comfortable with your weight. So if you're not stable and comfortable with your weight, you should do that first. You shouldn't really have body contouring surgery like a tummy tuck or um, breast lift or something like that when your state weight is changing. Because the reason you need a body contouring surgery is because the skin has been stretched, usually by putting on weight or having children. Those are the two things that can do it. And then when the stretching force goes, you're left with this redundant skin. So if you lose weight after surgery, you might be left with more redundant skin. So you really need to be stable and comfortable with your weight. Number one, because your complication rate will be less. But number two, because you will have a better result because I'll be able to make the skin tighter if you've lost your weight first. If I make the skin as tight as I can, then you go on and lose weight. I might have been able to make skin tighter if you lost the weight first and you've had better result because your complications would have been less so all in better result if your weight is lower but bmi is the ballpark uh bmi 30 is the ballpark we work on if you don't know what bmi is it's the body mass index kilograms per meter squared so it's your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared that's how you work it out i think there's sort of things on the computer to work that out all over the place if you need to work that out so that's the bmi good Revision on scar or scalp. This patient has got a scar on the back of the scalp, uh, hair transplant, they've taken a piece of the skin, and the scar has stretched, and he doesn't like the stretch nature of the scar and is wondering if it can be revised. Um, it's tricky. The reason scars stretch is because they're under tension. And the scalp is in place where the scar, the skin is under, under tension. And unfortunately, to revise it, it will be under tension again because it's stretched quite a lot. And so... In your mind, you always think, yeah, I can make that better. Yeah, I'll give a much better scar. And you cut it out and you stitch it up and you give a much better scar. You think, I've done a great job. I'm a great guy. Aren't I fantastic? But then over time, it stretches again, uh, in my experience, um, because you're stitching it tight. And some places are just prone to it. And the scalp is one of them. If there's a problem, if, it, if the wound broke down or if there's an infection or delayed healing with the scar, uh, with the wound, when you first had it done, there might be an option to think, oh, well, maybe that was the reason the scar stretched. 
but um, it's probably because the scar was closed under tension. And if we revise it for you, we will be closing under tension again. And so the worry is that it will stretch again. The hope is it would be better. So we might be able to make it better. But I would put it like that rather than saying we're going to give you a fantastic scar. It might be better. It will be better to start with, but then it can stretch over time. And so be a bit careful dealing with stretch scars because it can they can stretch again. The other problem with scars on the scalp, it's fine if you're a woman with long hair and everything because you can sort of cover them. Because a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm this cyst removed and we're not going to be, you know, hair on it because you don't get any hair on a scar. Um, but um, the problem with men is when men, especially when they, if, they, if your hair is a bit longer like this, like this, I think you can see that hair is quite long. I think you'll all agree. Um, then it, it can hide the scar. There's a scar that, but if the hair is a bit shorter, non-existent there but you know if the hair's shorter where you you know crew cut sort of um really short then you can see the scar the scar all of a sudden becomes much more obvious and so this chap's got quite um well he shaved his head but if he did grow and so the scar's very obvious but if he did grow a bit of stubble sort of thing it would be more obvious the shorter the hair is because it's sort of stubble 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 scar and then so it's really hard to uh, make that better even if it was a hairline scar it would show on the on the scalp on the sort of really uh, um, closely shaved scalp so that's a really tricky that one scar on the scalp and my feeling is we haven't seen this patient in the clinic he's just inquired on the email i don't know if he's here tonight well, hello if you are um but my feeling is i would probably be inclined to leave it to be quite honest because i would worry that we'd revise it and make it a little bit better but not that much better and in your mind you're probably thinking i'm going to get a plastic surgeon to revise my scar and it's going to be beautiful and no one's going to be able to see it which is which is not the case um so it's managing expectations so we would um yeah so that'd be my expectation of that this is a good one endoscopic diastasis repair abdominoplasty Woo-hoo! endoscopic diastasis repair abdominoplasty well we've had a diary about it so if you know if you know what it is please write in on a postcard and uh we'll have a prize draw um no i mean um so we've had, we've had an inquiry about it, so, and the person who inquired might be there. So if you're there, thank you for that inquiry. Very interesting. So this is an interesting thing. So um, what is that? Well, endoscopic diastasis. So diastasis repair is basically your rectus abdominis, your six-pack. You see people with a six-pack. I would show you mine, um, the, the six-pack, uh, but I might get in trouble with, you know, the Facebook and the, you know, the, the servers being you know inundated so the six pack is the well, you know what the six pack is is that that rectus abdominis muscle they're two two muscles side by side and they've got those tenderness intersections those lines which actually give you the six pack but anyway they're two muscles that go straight down uh, in your tummy and when you have a diastasis of your recti the rectus muscles become splayed apart and that again is weight have putting on weight and having children stretches the tummy the injury abdominal contents those muscles get splayed apart then people do exercise and work out and things um, and to strengthen the muscles, but if the muscles are splayed apart, then um, part of a tummy tuck is to bring the muscles together again. And that's a diastasis repair. Uh, endoscopic diastasis repair refers to making an endoscopic is like a telescope, you know, keyhole surgery, making t- keyhole incisions to repair the rectus muscles. And I guess it's possible. I mean, it must be possible because the patient's asking about it. So you can make keyhole incisions to repair that muscle. It's very rare, not unheard of, but it's very rare for people to have just a diastasis of the rectus muscles without having excess skin. 
because the common cause of diastasis of the rectus is the muscles have been stretched by uh, the intra-abdominal content stretching, and that usually stretches the skin as well. So there's usually excess skin at the same time. So you usually need to have an abdominoplasty as part of it. This person asking presumably doesn't need a abdominoplasty and just wants, because the endoscopic care is keyhole surgery. Keyhole surgery is just tiny incisions, so no skin is removed. So there'll be no skin tightening if you do endoscopic repair of the diastasis of the rectus. Oh, Rebecca's coming with a question. Um, so, um, so no skin tightening with that. So it is something that is possible. I wouldn't do it personally because I don't do endoscopic surgery. I don't do endoscopic or laparoscopic. Have you heard of laparoscopic when you go into the sort of belly, like uh, the general surgeons do gallbladders and things? So that would be a general surgeon who does bowel sort of surgery, and they are familiar with doing endoscopic things, and they're familiar with repairing hernias and what have you. So a general surgeon would be your point of call if you're interested in endoscopic diastasis repair of the, of the rectus. Endoscopic diastasis repair, abdominoplasty, doesn't make sense. I know I wrote it there. I think I wrote it there because the person, that's what they inquired about. Because an abdominoplasty is the skin removal and tightening of the skin. So um, endoscopic diastasis repair will be something on its own because it's endoscopic. Um, an abdominoplasty is when you take all the skin out and tighten the skin. Um, so that's a sort of separate thing. Um, so if you do an abdominoplasty, you can see the rectus muscles there and they're and they're there for all to see, and then you can repair them. And that is a fantastic question leading me on, as if this was planned, Rebecca, you are a legend, because you've asked, how do you know if you need a mini tummy tuck or a full tummy tuck? That is an excellent question, because that is related to that last question. So it's almost like we planned this, Rebecca, almost like this was a professional show. Um, After three sections, I think I would like one. Yes. Okay, uh, very good question. And really, it's, um, how, how do you know? It, it's not, it, I think about plastic surgery, it's not really, there's not that many set things. And a lot of it is opinion and, you know, judgment and what have you. But I tell you, in general terms, most people need a full tummy tuck. I think that's fair to say. A full tummy tuck, um, when you talk about it, Mini tummy tucks, a shorter scar, quicker recovery, cheaper, no scar around the belly button. Sounds fantastic. I'll have a mini, please. You know, give me a mini all day long. The problem is, it's less of a result. And when you look at the result of a mini compared to a full, it does give less result. A mini only really uh, uh, fixes the bulge above your cesarean section scar. It is very good. If you've got a bit of a bulge above your cesarean section scar, a mini is really good at that, and a mini will fix that, and it gives you a scar which is slightly longer than your cesarean scar, no scar around the belly button, and it just tightens that skin, might pull your belly button down a little bit, but uh, no, no scars, you know, when you're in a bikini and things, there's no scars on your tummy, and that is, you know, good for those patients, but it doesn't really do anything to the sides, to the sides out here. And it doesn't do anything above the belly button. It doesn't tighten any of the skin above the belly button because the belly button, you can't get any pull. A full tummy tuck, all of the skin from the belly button down to your cesarean scar, all of that skin gets removed. And, and then the skin that's from your belly button up to your, to your rib cage gets pulled down to become the hole of your abdomen. Uh, and then your belly button pops out through a bit of that skin. So you get a scar around the belly button and a much longer scar, uh, much longer than your cesarean scar. And a similar position to your um, to your um cesarean scar hi tracy good to see you uh, glad you can make it um 
And uh, so it's in a similar position to cesarean scar, but it's much longer than cesarean scar, but it does contour the whole abdomen a lot better, a full tummy tuck. So there's no real obvious answer. After, you know, it's really for after examination and really what, again, patient expectation, what you outcome you want, because obviously you want the best outcome and the best tightening of your skin and the best, you know, best uh, for your tummy. But then also you want the shortest scar, you want less downtime. So you've got to balance the mini and the full. There's often, well, we would often give you an opinion on it, but, you know, it's like sometimes it's like, well, you could have a mini, but it's going to give you less of a, less of a result, but it'll be, you know, less money and less downtime and less scarring. And you might think, actually, you know what, on balance, I'm up, I'm up for that. Or you might say, actually, no, I don't, if I'm going to pay that much, because a mini's not that much less than a full. So if you're going to pay that much, a full gives a better contouring. In my uh, experience, a full is the more common one. And, um, and, but you need to have a chat about what's right for you. Um, and, yeah. Tracy's given me, I think that's clapping, is it? And Sarah, I hope it's clapping or waving, is it? What's going on with the names? Because that photo doesn't look like Sarah. That's not Sarah Louise. Anyway, I will get into this. Have the names gone funny on Facebook tonight or what? Or have you changed your name on that? Anyway, um, right, what am I doing? Oh, look, Rebecca's back in. Rebecca's back in. Back in. Another great question, Rebecca. God, we have to... We couldn't have planned it better, Rebecca. Great question. Um, I'd love a full one. Thumbs up for that. Uh, Sorry, uh, where was that? Rebecca. Rebecca, uh, how long after having a C-section can you have one? Very good question. Very good question. A couple of things at play. First of all, you've obviously had a C-section, so you just had a child, so you've got a small child, so you've got to bear that in mind. There's a small child in the mix, and the tummy tuck is quite um, is quite a big op. Um, and give it sit. Sorry, Sarah. It's just that I thought I knew you from your photo. That's why I'm saying about the names. But anyway, maybe. May, Sorry, I, maybe you just look like you look like a patient of mine. Sorry. Um, so, um, so I thought the name. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going above myself. Um, so there's a couple of things in play. Obviously, you've got a child around, so you've got to take that into account. Because a tummy tuck, mini or full, is a big deal. Full is a bit of a bigger deal than a mini, but they're both a big deal. So um, the answer to that question is, I would say minimum six months, ideally 12 months couple of reasons for that. Number one reason is your tummy, once you've had delivered the child, will recoil. The skin does recoil to a greater or de- lesser degree. So you might say, oh, I know I'm going to need one, but, you know, it might recoil to a degree. So you have to give it a chance to recoil to see it to make it as good as it's going to get to see, you know, you might not need a tummy tuck, you know, you, or you might need a mini instead of a full, you know. So the longer you leave it, the better to give it a chance to recoil. Also to get the weight sort of stabilized, often the weight's a little bit... Uh, up and down after you have a child, and again, referring back to the BMI question, you know, you want to get your weight stabilized before having a, uh, having this sort of surgery. But the other thing you've got to think about is the fact you've got a child, um, and, uh, you know, it's difficult. You know, you say, oh, no, I've been lifting for six weeks. You've got a child. You've got a six-month-old child. You can't not lift them. So you have to lift them. Um, I, knew it, I knew it. I knew it wasn't Simcock. Right. Thank you. 
Um, um, so you've got, to, you've got a child. So you really need a child. Uh, oh, you really need uh, to give yourself time. So either a year, your child is usually running around and, um, well, maybe not running around. I don't know. I mean, they're, doing, they're doing a bit, they're a bit more mobile a year than earlier. Obviously, they're bigger and heavier, but they're a bit more mobile, maybe starting to walk and stuff. So I would say a year is a sort of good time to wait. Minimum, no maximum. Wait as long. Uh, but I know obviously people are keen to get it done. But I would say six months is minimum. Six months is minimum, and a year is sort of is reasonable. And six months is really just sort of an absolute um, minimum. God, yeah, is that clear? Sarah, I knew it wasn't Simcock. I knew it wasn't. So um, thank you. Right. Um, I knew I recognised you. Uh, anyway, good to see you. Good to see you. And congratulations. Congrats. Um, right, going on. That was, I'll tell you what, Rebecca, you did the double there, and that was very impressive, that those double questions, which were very relevant. So I'd write in with the whole plan. We've got a question here. Pain during an afternoon inverted nipple repair. I don't know when this question came in, so I don't know if this patient's had the nipple repair by now. Oh. Mm, multiple collapse. Um, but anyway, I'll answer it anyway, because uh, I've, uh, so I would. Um, pain during an after nip, inverted nipple repair. Well, can we open it up to any sort of, well, obviously, well, no, we'll keep it, we'll keep it, keep it niche. Uh, yeah, inverted nipple repair. I mean, obviously, nipple is uh, not a great place to have local anesthetic. It does sting. It does bring a tear to eye. It's a very sensitive area. So the anesthetic does sting, and that is the worst bit, the anesthetic. It, it stings for 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 a seconds uh, when you have the injection you have to have an injection you know it's a local anesthetic meaning the injection goes locally where we're doing the surgery which is obviously in the nipple so that is something that is a necessary evil but there is an injection there so that is a bit uncomfortable once the injection's in you should be fine because you will feel move uh, move <laughs> movement and, and touch um, but you don't feel anything painful if you do feel pain during uh, the surgery then just say and we'll put a bit more local in you shouldn't feel pain during the surgery you will feel touch you will feel movement that is normal uh, but the pain fibers are smaller than the movement fibers so they get anesthetized before the movement fibers so during surgery is not painful a lot of people say when's the anesthetic wear off you say wears off in a few hours and they go oh my god you know i'm gonna be in agony in a few hours it's not true the mo- the painful bit is having the surgery done uh, inverted nipple repair in particular is not that big an operation it's um incision is quite small there is some sutures to, to there is some sutures required and you do have to sort of divide the ducts so there is a bit of a thing to it but it's not that invasive so so the painful thing is actually doing the surgery and the local anesthetic covers you for that once the local anesthetic wears off i hope it wouldn't be too painful it's not like you're going to be walking down the street four hours later and suddenly oh my god i feel like i'm in shot you know it's terrible pain uh it's usually not too bad uh the pain and just normal painkillers ibuprofen and paracetamol you sort of know you've had something done, it'd be about uncomfortable if you go back to work and things, but you might, you know, you might be able to, you should be able to sort of go back to work. Um, maybe next day, maybe give yourself a day off. But um, yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable to have it done for the local, but after that, it's it should be fine. Uh, it's, um, it's, you know, like any local anesthetic case, you know, they usually are a bit uncomfortable afterwards, as you might imagine. But because you're not sort of closing things tightly or stitching things under tension, you know, when you remove moles and stuff, sometimes it's a bit tight and feels a bit tense. There's none of that with this. So hopefully it's not too bad afterwards. So I don't think pain's a massive feature of it. And one thing, if you're worried, is 
that um, you can always talk to a previous patient. Don't take my word for it because I'm going to say, well, I'm not, I am hopefully going to be honest, try and be honest. But, uh, you know, if you, if you, you know, it's always good to talk to someone. So we do, we do offer people to talk to previous patients. So I'm just going to put this up on screen. Sarah Simcock, nay Bowman. Uh, love your work. Thanks, Sarah. That's what we need. That's the sort of spon- spontaneous publicity we need. Tracy says, still struggling. Bo, be late. Since I am going to go to the Barts meeting. In fact, I've gone to a couple of meetings. I've got a meeting in Belgium in a couple of weeks. Uh, and I've got Barts meeting next month, the Plastic Surgery Association meeting. And the Be Light people will be there, Tracy. So I will talk to them. I spoke to them before. The problem is when you speak to them, they say, yeah, yeah, they got it in all the hospitals. They're really easy to get in the hospitals. And then you speak to the hospitals and they say, we haven't got them. They're difficult. They're new and a little bit funny about it. So, um, yeah, I think, the, you know, the problem with B-Lights is we are all this risk averse and everyone's like, oh, they're new and everything. Um, but I think, um, you know, yeah, well, if the hospital, yeah, good. So I'll, I'll talk to them at, uh, at the BARPS and at the, at the uh, Cat Bass meeting in Belgium in a couple of weeks' time um, because I'm actually going with Polytech who actually make B-Light implants. So there you go. I should be able to, uh, or at least, yeah, together with Polytech somehow. Uh, let's, we've got a big one here, big one. Rebecca's back in. Rebecca, you've uh, gold star tonight. Look, you, look, come on, guys. What are you doing? You're letting Rebecca take the whole limelight. You know, Tracy's had a go. Sarah's had a bit of, you know, the getting married stuff. But Rebecca's well in. Coming to you next year, I said, capsule contraction and would like to replace them up. With which implants would you recommend to help stop capsule in the future? And would it be better behind muscle as less contact with tissue? Okay, good question. Lip and neck, Rebecca, you've, you've nailed it on the tummy tuck questions. And now you're going on the breasty questions. Um, yeah, capsular contracture is a bit of a nightmare, as you are finding, and it's a bad thing, capsular contracture. And my recommendation is uh, if you have a capsular contracture, polyurethane foam implants, uh, which are made by Polytech, they're the only company that make them because they've got a much lower rate of capsular contracture. However, they're a bit controversial. And there are certainly, like anything, like I was saying, what was I saying about the pros and cons? What was it? Dissolve with sutures, no, BMI, was it? Anyway, a bit earlier on, seems like, years ago, a bit earlier on in this broadcast, I was talking about pros and cons of something, can't remember what it was now, but there's pros and cons of, was it the BMI? It was a BMI. Um, there's pros and cons of the polyurethane implants, and one of the pros is they've got a much lower rate of capsule contraction compared to silicone implants, but there are cons, which we can definitely go through, and you, uh, you know, we've got some details we can send you about that. But, uh, there are definitely cons of them, but they are got a, so if you're specifically worried about calcium contracture, they are the, the ones to have. Um, the muscle, the muscle, muscle, the muscle thing is um, true. Capsular contracture is, you know, you say there, capsular contracture is better behind the muscle, has less contact with tissue. It's not really because there's less contact with tissue. Capsular contracture is scar tissue forming around the implant. The capsular contracture is your body's reaction to the implant. And that happens wherever they are. Um, now it manifests itself as being feeling hard and looking unsightly and when you have the implant under the muscle there's an extra layer on top of the um, implant which makes it look less unsightly and feel less hard because you've got the muscle on on top so when you're feeling you're feeling muscle before you're feeling the implant so capsular contracture does present itself later when implants are under the muscle so if you didn't want um, 
polyurethane implants, then, then I think polyurethane implants is probably the best way to reduce capsular contracture. But also putting them under the muscle is, if, you know, is, an, is another thing that you can do if they're on top of the muscle and you can see the edges, feel the edges, particularly you've got things like rippling and things, putting them under the muscle does give that extra layer of cover uh, and makes capsular contracture per, um, uh, present later. But I hate to be a, um, you know, a, like a moaning mini. Moaning mini is the wrong word. I hate to be a sort of negative guy, but like anything, like the BMI thing and like the polyurethane implants, um, there's bad things about putting them under the muscle. So, again, you've got to weigh it up. You know, when you put up the muscle, they can be high, they can be wide, you can get animation deformities. So there are bad things about putting on the muscle, but there are also good things about putting on the muscle because it gives you that, that extra layer of cover. So it's a, it's a balance. This whole thing, you know what, this whole job is about balancing risks. And we, we had a thing on Facebook the other day, I don't know if you saw it, about that lady who died in, I don't know where she was, was it Turkey or... Well, anyway, she went, it doesn't really matter where she was. She had uh, uh, buttock uh, augmentation and she died which is so rare, you know, it's, well, actually, death after buttergirl augmentation isn't rare, but death after cosmetic surgery, well, it is rare, but it's, buttergirl augmentation is known to have a high fatality, much higher than any other cosmetic surgery, but I'm getting off the point. The point is there's risks with all surgery. It's just like that, but there is risks, and everything's about a risk and a balance. And if someone says, look, could bad things happen if I have surgery? You'd be like, yeah, they could. But there are bad things that can happen with anything. There are bad things that happen when we go out to um, to to across the road or to drive down the motorway, and we just got to balance the risk every time we do stuff. But if you specifically ask, is there a risk with me driving home tonight? Yes, there is a risk. But what am I going to do? Stay here? No, thanks. Oh, terrifying here at night, I'll tell you. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a balancing of the risks. Stephanie's in with a late one. I had capsular contract. Oh no, that's Rebecca. Stephanie, I had uh, Jonathan. Oh God, I'm all over the place. Did my capsular implant replacement? Yes, I did. Pulling it, and they're amazing. So, oh look at that! Look at that. As if I'd planned it. Tonight is going. I should do it late every night. It's going better than ever. Stephanie, you're a legend. Thank you very much. If I could like, I can't thumbs up this, but I will thumbs up at my convenience later because I can't get on this thing because I've got the thing with the when I put it up like that. So that's not. It's, you know, you can't put the thumbs up on. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for that vote of confidence. I'm very uh, grateful. And your, yeah, can't forget your case, Stephanie. Your, that was an interesting one, and I'm glad. Yeah, it looks great. So, yeah. Um, what we got here is uh, Rebecca's back in. Good. I had capsular contracture after pregnancy. It's not painful anymore. I heard that in America they use some sort of mesh over implants to help stop it. My implants are nine years old, and I'm sure pregnancy has something to do with it. Okay. Yeah, um, pregnancy and cats and tractor. God, is that a risk factor? I don't think it is, Rebecca. Um, I don't think it is. But, you know, what are you going to do? Not get pregnant? You know, what's more important? I don't think it is. It might be. Um, we don't really know much. Well, there's, I shouldn't say we don't know much about cats and tractor. There's loads of things that are... It's multifactorial, cats and tractor. There's loads of things that there's no one thing that... Uh, that uh, causes it. I mean, it is scar tissue, which is normal. Scar tissue is normal. But there's loads of things that exacerbate it, and there's loads of things we do to reduce it and minimise it. Uh, but unfortunately, it is a, a, a problem. Um, in America, they use some sort of mesh over implants to stop it. Hmm, interesting way of putting it. Um, they do use uh, mesh, and we use mesh here. Um, dermal matrix and uh, 
uh, mesh is like um, it's it's a, 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 a um, uh, it's a it's a dermal substitute, so it's uh, the dermis is the, the bit underneath your skin, and it basically gives another layer of cover over the implant. And it's a bit like putting them under the muscle, but without putting them under the muscle, it gives another layer of cover. So mesh is good. Mesh is good to support breast implants. Is good to give extra layers of cover over them and what have you. Uh, and I they, I think they do use it a lot more in America than we do here. Uh, one of the problems with mesh is that it's expensive. And that's a big problem because a lot of this stuff is. Uh, done in the private sector if you have stuff you know when you're doing stuff in the nhs like reconstructions and things um, it's still expensive there but uh you know i think you'd use it more but for a cosmetic augmentation when the costs are past the patient it is an expensive thing to be using uh and it's only really in revision cases and people got real problems that you really need to use a mesh and a mesh just give, again gives another air cover over the top in the same way that a muscle would do a muscle would do it better the problem with the muscle is submuscular the muscle comes like that and and it's and it's sort of like it, go, it sort of goes into your arm and it goes across like this. So this bit of the implant is always is not covered by the muscle. So the mesh you can use the mesh to get total cover by by putting the mesh into this part um, to cover it. If they, if you've got part of that cover here, usually the problem with cover is in this area because it's some sort of cosmetically sensitive. But um, but the mesh is another option. And of course in America they can't use polyurethane foam implants, so obviously they've got to use silicone implants. So um, I think that um, they're looking for other ways. But uh, mesh is out there, and it's not just used in America. We use it here. But as I say, we don't use as much of it for cosmetic breast surgery as they do in America. Stephanie, big up yourself. I'll see you on Friday. Yes, I will see you on Friday. Good. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Um, should be a good day. Sarah, I had uplifts and implants five years ago. Another had another baby nearly two years ago. Had no issues so far. How would I be able to tell if there was a problem with them? I.e. capsicum treasure. So far, so good. You know what, Sarah? Don't go looking for it. A lot of people say, have I got capsicum treasure? I hope that, Sarah, you are, um, you are, you know that there is um, a, um, you're in the, you're in the system. I hope I'm following you up still. Am I? But you know you can come back if you if I'm not. Um, so come back anytime. I offer everybody a yearly follow up, and I'm, I would have offered you a yearly follow up. So by all means, come back. And but with the yearly follow up, I'm just checking off this. I'm not looking. If you haven't got a problem, I haven't got a problem. So it's really up to you as to whether you feel that there is a, a an issue. And if you feel that there's an issue, then you know, then there's an issue. And if you don't feel that there's an issue, then there's not an issue. So you know, it's really up to you to decide whether you've got a, you know, your, your implants feel hard or they, um, or if they, you know, are uncomfortable, then, then you've got a problem. So I think, um, if you have had them for, uh, five years and you've got no problems, then I think, you know, I don't think you should worry about it. I think you should just enjoy them and don't go looking for capsular contracture. Don't let someone tell you you've got capsular contracture and you should have something done about it. You know, I think um, I think it's something really for um, you to say, I've got a problem and I would like to um, I would like to have a um, uh, something done about it um, because if you haven't got a problem and if they don't feel hard and they don't look and if they look fine then you haven't got a problem 
if you feel like you've got a problem, if they feel hard or there's any issues, come and see me and we can talk about it and see what the problem is. It's not really for you to, di- to diagnose capsular contraction things. It's, it's symptomatic. It's, it's based on symptoms. So the patient's got no symptoms. If you say, how do you feel? I feel fine. You've got no problems with your implants. Then that's fine. You know, that's it. If you have got symptoms, okay, well, let's have a look. What this, you know, then, I'll, then we can examine and see what's going on to see what the problem is. But it's not, don't think, oh, you've got to look out for capsule contracture and make sure you diagnose it and come and get it seen too quickly because the answer with capsule contracture is the longer you leave it, the better. Even if you have got capsule contracture, the longer you leave it, the better. Because once you start doing stuff, then you create more capsule contracture in the next uh, set of implants. So that goes um, with you uh, as well, Rebecca. So um, if you... If you start doing surgery on people with capsular contracture, you create more capsular contracture. So you only do surgery once it's really bad. So you wait until it's it's as bad as it, it it's going to be before you start messing with it. Oh my God, we've got things coming in thick and fast now. Junie, good evening, good evening, Junie. What do you think of the eyebrow procedure? And do you do it? Um, do I do the eyebrow procedure? Um, Junie, what's the eyebrow procedure? Sorry, I don't know what the eyebrow procedure is. It's good, isn't it? Eyebrow. Is it something to do with meshes and things? Do you know? Can you elaborate on that, Junie? Um, I'll come back to that in a minute. Ha, uh, thank you for my amazing... My, I forgot how amazing my transformer was. Ah, oh, thanks, Sarah. Glad you... It took us a while to get those photos to you. Sorry about that, but uh, thanks for persevering. Um, Sarah, I haven't been for follow-up probably since a year after surgery. That's all good. Just wonder if it was, if I was to get checked out and not miss anything. Just wondered if I was. But yeah, like I say, still, yeah, Sarah, come along. Come along. Both Sarahs. Sarah with one S and Sarah with two S's. Um, come along and, um, and come for a follow-up because I like to keep an eye on people and I offer everyone a yearly follow-up. So come along for a yearly follow-up and I'll um, we'll have a chat about all this sort of stuff. And... Um, and yeah, we'll get it done. Uh, okay, Junie, it's an internal bra made of. So yes, I know about these things. There are a few of them. Um, yes. So what was your question? What do you think of the eyebrow, and do you do it? I think it is a good idea, Junie, uh, and I don't do it. Um, <clears throat> I did a blog post about this a while ago. The internal bra, internal mastopexy, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's a good idea. And what it's trying to do is it's trying to maintain upper pole fullness, particularly for a mastopexy or breast reduction. Because with a mastopexy and breast reduction, the breasts start like this and everyone's happy and then they settle. And they settle to what I would call a more natural shape, more concavity in the upper pole. But some people want more fullness in the upper pole. Now, if you use implants, you can get fullness in the upper pole. But if you don't use implants and you've got your own uh, breast tissue, um, then um, then the breast tissue will tend to settle. And so that is a problem with breast reductions and it is a problem with mastopexies, uh, with breast lifts. And the breasts settle and people think, oh, not like this and uh, I'd rather it to be fuller. And the, um, the things that you're talking about, these internal bras, um, are trying to address that problem. And there's a few of them. There's like a cone thing that you have to put in and, and maintains the shape. And there's this thing like you're describing, the, the, the hammock, that uh, is anchored into the ribs. Now, there are some problems with them. Obviously, they have to be anchored to something that's solid because if they're not anchored to something solid, they'll, the whole thing will just droop. So that's why you have to use bone anchors into the ribs. That can be a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, it does. You do have to, to uh, uh, undermine quite a lot to get the, 
to get the um, the thing in. And I worry about infection because you're putting it in a foreign body. Now I know that when you put in a bra, you, uh, when you put in an implant in, you're putting in a foreign body as well. But the implant is all covered with the breast tissue. The whole point about this is it has to be got to, got to be relatively close to the skin because you, if you put it too deep with too much breast tissue, the other side of it, that breast tissue will sag. So it's got to be relatively superficial. So I worry that if you do get infection, it can cause problems. I worry that you'd be able to feel the edges of it and things like that. And because it's a, a permanent mesh, then you worry that it will always be like, because again, if it dissolves, then you worry that the recurrence, the, thing, that the problem will recur. So there's a lot of issues around it, which I haven't really embraced. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because some people haven't embraced it. And, um, and, you know, if they're getting good results and not getting complications, then that's fine. I'm not saying it is a bad thing. I have spoken to them at the meetings when they talk about it and they make that it's great and they um, show great results. But that's what worries me. And that's why I haven't embraced it and I don't use it because I don't think it's there yet. And it's certainly not widely popularized and widely used by my colleagues. <clears throat> a bit like the bee lights are all of it. Oh, you know, new thing doesn't mean it's bad. In 20 years time, we might all be using it. But um yeah, there are a few potential complications with it, Juni, uh, in terms of infection, pain because of the bone anchoring, being able to feel the prosthesis. So there are things that worry me. And so what I do is I say, look, you're going to have a mastopexy or a breast lift. It will make the shape significantly better, but over time it will settle and you will get a bit of a concavity in the upper pole, which you can't really do anything about unless you're going to have an implant, which will make the breast bigger, which a lot of people don't want. And so I would say, look, you know, and the main thing about implants is making the breast bigger rather than giving that fullness in the upper pole. I think that's the main benefit of implants. So that's the way I treat it, and that's my view on it. But it doesn't mean it's the right view. As I say, there are people out there who um, who may be using it and maybe getting good results with it. So um, that's where I am on it. That's where that's my position. Um, Rebecca, I cancelled interest in 2012, but I just left it. Will you see next? Will see you next year? You're very welcome, Rebecca. Yeah, you're absolutely right to just leave it, Rebecca. Bang on, leave it as long as you can, I say. And if I see you next year, I'll tell you the same thing. Leave it as long as you can. The longer you leave it, the better, because once you stock, we'll start ticking on those ones. So, um, yeah. Wow, is this time better than the other time? God, I felt like I'm starting late, but I'm, God, I'm bald. Um, that was good, wasn't it? That was a busy one tonight. It was better than ever. Junie, thank you. Thanks for elaborating on your eyebrow. And, um, yeah, thank you all for that. That was fantastic. Been off and uh, fantastic one to come back on. In on. Well, I need to go home. Right, okay. So, put my light on. It's a bit tough about there, isn't it? Um, thank you for being here, everyone. I really, really appreciate all those comments. Fantastic. That's lovely. And I will do the same thumbs up. Um, and, um same time next week. Maybe I'll do this time. Uh, actually, I'm looking at changing the day. Watch this space. Watch this space. So, yes, good. Thank you. And that is, I'm going to check myself out of here. And thank you all for those comments um, and those stuff that you've been saying. And I will see you all next week. And I will end my PR. Good night. Have a nice evening. Sleep well. Oh, back to the Yorkshire vet. What's the Yorkshire vet? I don't even know what that is. Don't tell me there's something on TV that I'm missing. Right, yeah, go back to the Yorkshire vet. I'm assuming it's a thing on TV.
maybe it's a maybe there's a person maybe there's a yorkshire right there <laughs> anyway what you do in your personal life junie totally up to you and uh all power to you thanks for your questions and uh good night have a question not covered in today's show then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.